Amen. Our God is faithful. Amen. I'm going to ask you, if you would, to turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5, and uh, we will finish out chapter 5 today. Uh, We are going to look at desperation and the sovereignty of God. Those times of, of desperation or those times of suffering, uh, every single one of us have at some point or another been on the receiving end of bad news or uncertain news. Every single one of us have at some point gotten a call and there was something that was very desperate that was relayed to us. Maybe it was an unclear scan. Maybe it was news of, of a... Um, of a car accident. Maybe it was, it was something totally different. Um, there are times, though, all of us will go through desperate situations. And I want you this morning to see the desperation, those desperate times, they don't necessarily just call for desperate measures. In those desperate times, we see the sovereignty of God working to bring us to him and to bring about his good. Romans 8, 28, God causes all things to work together for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. That's not just something that looks good on a bumper sticker, doesn't just look good on a coffee cup. It is true that God is sovereign, that he is controlling all of this and he's bringing about his desired end. Now, that sounds great, and we could amen that until you get the phone call, until the desperate situation crashes on your life, and it goes beyond the coffee cup and the bumper sticker, and all of a sudden, it hits home, and you wrestle with questions of how in the world could this work together for good? How? I see no good in this. There could be nothing good come out of this. But I think there's a lot of us in the room that would also say that we have come through those desperate times and those desperate situations, and we have seen the hand of God working. We may not have seen it going through it, but when we get to the other side and we look back, we see what God intended to do through the whole thing. And we can confess this morning, right, church, that God is good. God is good in everything that he does. Well, I want us to look at this, this issue of God in desperate times, the desperation, desperation and the sovereignty of God. Let's begin reading in verse 21, Mark chapter 5. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet. And implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be well and live. And he went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for twelve years, and who, and, and who had suffered much under many physicians, and had spent all that she had, and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, 
If I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him immediately, he immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him, but... He put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in and where, where the little child was, ta- taking her by the hand, and he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means, little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age, and, th- and they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should, should know this. He told them to give her something to eat. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, this morning, God, I need your help. God, I need more than your help. God, I need you to take control. God, I need you to speak through me. God, I need you to communicate the truths of this scripture that you would want communicated and do them in a way where blind eyes are made to see And deaf ears are made to hear. God, I pray that you would show yourself to be strong. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And when you come to a passage like this, oftentimes you are drawn away to think about what's going on with this type of of thing today in our world. There are so-called faith healers and miracle workers that, that... prey on people of all sorts. They, they claim to be able to do something and set up elaborate hoaxes and then take people's money and really the person is no better at all. And that is not what I'm preaching today. But I will say to you today that the same Jesus that is here, Lord over the demons last week and now Lord over disease this week, is the same Jesus today. Jesus still heals. Jesus still is able to do great miracles. But he does them wherever he pleases. So what about desperation in your life? What about when you get that phone call? What about when the doctor gives you that news? Well, I believe that there are four things in this passage that happen when we go through desperate times. One, Desperation led them to see that Jesus was their only hope. 
Desperation, desperation has a way to lead us to see that Jesus is our only hope. We ought to go to him first thing, but oftentimes we go to him as a last result, last resort. Verse 23 says, my little daughter, the, the, the ruler of the synagogue comes to Jesus and says, my little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. The leader of the synagogue, the ruler of the synagogue here, is a man who another gospel writer tells us has only one daughter. This is his only daughter. This is the one who he cares so much for because this is his only daughter, and this is desperate times. She is sick and at the point of death, and it looks like she is not going to make it. And he is the ruler of the synagogue, and he shouldn't be doing what he's doing, but now Jesus is his only hope. Verses 25 through 28, there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years. She had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him. She came up behind him in the crowd and she reached out and she touched him because she had come to the point where Jesus was her only hope. This was a woman who for 12 years had been ostracized. This was a woman who for 12 years had had this issue of blood. She had had this bleeding that continually happened. And we're not told specifically what it is, but we know that within that particular segment of time and society in the Jewish faith, that blood, if a person had an issue of blood or came in contact with blood, that they were unclean. And this would mean that, that all of her community would have cast her out and, and would have shunned her. This would mean that if she was married, that her husband would wind up divorcing her. If she couldn't be cured within a certain reasonable amount of time, he would divorce her and, and leave her alone. Her children would wind up leaving her if she had any children. They would leave her and, and, and go off, and she would be utterly alone. There would be no one within her community. She had no girlfriends to rely on. She had no friends whatsoever. She was an outcast. Now, after 12 years of suffering with this, Jesus is her only hope. I think the scripture writer here gives us this. I think God Almighty included this, this story, this story within a story or miracle within a miracle to show us what desperation does. Desperation leads us to see that Jesus is our only hope. However, there's probably a few of us in here that are dealing with health issues. There are probably a few of us in here that are dealing with issues with children. But how we need to see that every single one of us is dealing with a desperate situation. How we need to see the desperate, hopeless situation that our sin leaves us in. We all are diseased. Do you know that? Every one of us outside of Christ has a disease called sin. Every one of us needs to see the desperate situation of sin in our lives, the effects of sin in our life. We, however, don't. A lot of the time we talk about sin as if it's some habit that one day will kick. We talk about sin as if, well, it's not one of the, the bad sins, 
that it's only a little sin and it's something that all of us struggle with and we make jokes about it. Now we need to see the desperate situation of our sin. How every single one of us needs to see the thing that we play with is the thing that nailed Jesus to the cross. Let me read some scripture for you. In Genesis chapter 2, verses 16 and 17, it says, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. From the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. We know the rest of the story that the serpent came along and said, you won't really die. God simply knows that in the day you eat, your eyes will be open and you will become like him. We look at the rest of that story and we say, well, Adam and Eve didn't die. They had an encounter with God in the garden. He came and he made them clothes and he covered them, but they didn't die, did they? Well, eventually they did. And actually, instantly they did. They died spiritually the moment they rebelled against God. Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. We need to see, we desperately need to see that the wages of our sin is Death. Y'all with me this morning? All right, y'all quiet. Thank you. Isaiah 64, verse 6 says, We have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. Our righteousness is like filthy rags to him, that verse says. And we come and we say we will do everything we can to be right before God. And even our righteous deeds are sinful, dirty rags before him. Psalm 38, 3 through 5, the psalmist writes, There is no soundness in my flesh because of your indignation. There is no health in my bones because of my sin. For my iniquities have gone over my head like a heavy burden. They are too heavy for me. My wounds stink and fester because of my foolishness. Do we view sin that way? Or do we joke about it? Do we play with it? Do we watch it in our TV shows and laugh at it? Second Corinthians 5 verse 21, for our sake, He made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The reality is that every single one of us have become infected with a dirty, nasty disease that has killed us spiritually and will take our lives one day physically. It is the culprit. It is the reason for all the suffering in the world today. It is the reason why AIDS is spreading at epidemic proportions in Africa. It is the reason why kids die of starvation. It is the reason why kids die of things like diarrhea every single day in our world. It is the reason why cancer is rampant today. But more than that, it is the reason why Christ died. And he died in your place so that you might have hope. 
How desperate the situation must be for the one who's told he has terminal cancer. There is no hope, no cure. How desperate the person must be who has, he gets the news or she receives the news that he has AIDS. This would be an utterly desperate situation that shattered all of those were it not for the fact that Christ died. Because more than cancer and more than AIDS, we would be headed to suffer the eternal wrath of God because we had rebelled against him in our sin. But instead... While we were sinners, Christ died for us. Desperation leads us to see that Jesus is our only hope. I pray, I pray, I pray that God would show us how desperate and hopeless sin leaves us. God, I pray that there would be a brokenness over sin in this place among our members that we would take seriously the criticism of the world outside that says the church is filled with nothing but hypocrites. There's a reason why they say that, and sometimes it is unfounded, but more times than not, it is well-founded. Because we live in here no different than they live out there. God, break our hearts over the thing that sent you to the cross. God, show us that we can no longer play with the murder weapon as if it were simply another trinket or toy of our lives. God, lead us to see that you are our only hope. Secondly, desperation led them to do the unthinkable. Verses 22 through 23. Let me just read it again and let it wash over you. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name. Seeing him, he fell at his feet. He implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be well and live. Don't miss the part where it says that this is a ruler of the synagogue. If we've noticed, we've noticed a lot of things. One of the things we've noticed as we've walked through Mark together, verse by verse, is how that at every turn where Jesus went, the Pharisees and the scribes were right there, right? We've seen it over and over again. Even as they were walking through a wheat field on the Sabbath, they were trailing behind. They were tagging along because they wanted to catch him at every turn, And so don't you think that when a ruler of the synagogue comes to find that Jesus is his only hope for his little daughter and comes and falls at the feet of Jesus and begs him, implores him, come, lay your hands on her. Lay your hands on her so she'll live. Don't you think the Pharisees and the scribes were watching him and condemning him? Don't you think they were judging him and saying, he is out, he's out of the synagogue, no more. Desperate times really do call for desperate measures. 
When we see that Jesus is our only hope, it doesn't matter who's watching. It doesn't matter what the person sitting next to you thinks. It doesn't matter what the person who you've sat in Sunday school with year after year after year thinks. It doesn't matter what the church thinks. It only matters what he will do. The woman who has had the issue of bleeding for 12 years, she was unclean. We've already talked about that she was cast out. No husband, no children, no family, no friends, nobody. Yet she pushes through the crowd. She's not supposed to be in the crowd, remember? Do you remember what they were supposed to do when they were unclean? Just like the leper, her blood makes her unclean. And she is to cry out, unclean! And she is to stay away. Yet she probably that morning hears that Jesus is coming through and she's tried everything else and nothing has worked. She spent all her money, the Bible says, but she didn't get better, she grew worse. And so probably that morning she hears, Jesus is coming. And so she goes and she takes a cloak and she probably veils herself. She goes and she joins the crowd that is following Jesus to go to the ruler of the synagogue's house to see what he's going to do for this little girl. She pushes her way through, and as she pushes her way through, she's touching people. Yes, she's unclean. She's touching them, and she's unclean. So not only does she push past that social and cultural norms that she's not supposed to come in contact with anyone, but she's so desperate that now she gets to where Jesus is and she can do nothing more than reach out and stretch and touch the hem of his garment. And her faith had told her, I've tried everything else, but I've heard such great things about him. If I can only touch even his garment, I'll be made well. You see, desperation leads us to do the unthinkable. And I would ask you today, sitting here, whether you're a part of the church or whether you're not, what is the unthinkable that's keeping you from seeing Jesus as your only hope and coming by faith to him? Are you worried what men and women might think? Really? Then you've not yet come to the point where you are desperate about your situation. Oh, God, make us desperate. Desperation leads us to do the unthinkable. They had tried everything else and they'd come up empty. The leader of the synagogue noticed that he did not turn to his colleagues. Maybe, maybe the thought was to turn to his colleagues when his daughter was so sick that she was about to die. Maybe the thought was to go to the Pharisees. Maybe it was to go to the high priest. But I think in his mind he knew there was nothing that they could do. The woman had tried everything else in medicine and nothing had worked. And desperation led them to do the unthinkable. What is it that is unthinkable that you need to do today? Third, desperation led them to experience the compassion of Christ. We will never experience the compassion of Christ unless we see how desperate our situation is in our sin, and we will do the unthinkable and come to him by faith. We will never experience the compassion 
of Christ. Now, we will experience common grace of Christ. We all wake up every single day and we enjoy the sunshine. We enjoy the, the starry nights. We enjoy rain. We enjoy cooler weather. We enjoy warmer weather. We all enjoy those common graces, but we will never experience the compassion of Christ unless we admit and come and see how desperate our sin leaves us and come by faith to Jesus Christ. Verse, 30, verse, verse uh, 24. And he went with him. The ruler of the synagogue comes and falls at the feet of Jesus, regardless of who's watching. And he falls at the feet of Jesus and says, Come, lay your hands on her so that she might be well. What would you have done if you had been Jesus in that situation? Aren't you the guy that's been following me around and dogging me at every step and making fun of me and saying that I was casting out demons by the devil? Weren't you spreading lies and gossip about me and now you want my help? I don't think so. That would probably be my response. But Jesus here is compassionate. And the man comes and falls down and says, Come, you're my only hope. And the writer here gives us no elaborate description. It simply says that he went with him. Jesus goes. In the case of the woman, the woman who had had this issue, he looks at the woman after 12 years of having an issue of blood. No one had looked at the woman in 12 years. Everyone had turned their gaze away And that's what it's all about there in verses 30 and following. When Jesus perceives that power had gone out from him, and he turns and says, who touched me? And his disciples said, Jesus, don't you see this crowd, and you want to know who touched you? And Jesus said, who touched me? And it says there, he looked around, verse 32, he looked around to see who had done it. It was an awkward pause, a moment of very awkward silence. The crowd is ready for him to go on and go forward. Jesus stays back and he just lingers there. Who touched me? And he continues to look over the crowd and his eyes finally lock with this woman because she comes forward. And it says she comes forward in fear and trembling because she's not sure what's going to happen to her. If she came forward and receive the same treatment that the temple or the synagogue or the Pharisees would have given her, she would have been probably stoned. She looks at Jesus, and their eyes lock, and he says to her, Daughter, no one's called her daughter in years. No one has been compassionate to her. No one has taken the time to whisper a word to her. And Jesus takes the time amongst the whole crowd and says, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go and be healed. When we see, when we see the desperate situation that sin leaves us in, and when we do the unthinkable and turn away from our life of sin and come by faith to Jesus Christ, it's then and only then that we experience his compassion when he looks at us and he says, daughter, when he looks at us and says, son, your faith has made you well. There is no other way to come to God and be made right. You must come through the name of Jesus. You must come by faith in Christ alone. 
to be saved, to be made well, to be healed of the awful, dreadful disease of sin over your life. Jesus cares. I want you to know that more than just the situation that your sin leaves you in, but maybe the situation right now that sin is still responsible for, but the bad news that you're working your way through right now. Jesus cares intimately for you even in the midst of that. The other morning, I got a text on my phone, and it was Diana Satterfield, and she said, I'm a, I'm a grandmother again. Nine pounds, two ounces, 21 and a half inches long. Everything's well. Mom's well. Everybody's well. She was celebrating. That night, I got a text again. My grandson's in trouble. Please pray. I began immediately praying. Woke up the next morning, and Diana sent me a text and said, they're going to transfer him once again from Mary Black Hospital, Greenville Memorial Hospital, now to Columbia because they've got to put him on a heart-lung machine. They only do about 15 of these surgeries a year, but he, he's not getting any oxygen into his blood, and if, he, if this doesn't work, he's going to die. We began to pray, we began to call whoever we needed to call, and we began to pray, and we began to partner with her, and we stood in the hospital in the waiting room, and we, we prayed. This morning, as I was standing in that foyer, I got a text from Diana Satterfield that said, my grandson is doing great. They're getting ready to start the process of taking him off the heart and lung machine so that he can begin to oxygenate his own blood on his own. Amen? We are talking about here the desperate situation of our sin, but we are also talking about the desperate situation that sin leaves us in in the real world. And Jesus cares for you whatever you're going through. And Diana this morning can, wherever she is, praise the Lord. And that family can praise the Lord. But the reality is, is that even if, even if Samuel, Stephen, would not have gotten better. Even if they would have transported him to the hospital and in the surgery, it would not have worked and he would not be here today. Even if that would have happened, Jesus is still good. And they could still praise him this morning. Jesus cares. You will experience his compassion when you Finally come to him by faith. And the fourth thing is this. The desperation led them to understand that Jesus is sovereign over all. Desperate situations and when we see God work in the midst of those, lead us to see and to understand that Jesus is sovereign over all. There is nothing that is impossible for Jesus because he's God. Nothing. Not one thing. The woman, after 12 years, immediately healed. She had spent all that she had on doctors, and there were some kooky practices in those days. I mean, crazy things. Take this and dip it in this and carry it in your right pocket. That was medicine then. And she had, it was kind of like 
granny off the Beverly Hillbillies, you know. And she had spent all that she had. She was no better. It's, it's funny because in Luke's report of this same incident, Luke is a doctor, and he leaves that part out. But she had spent all that she had and was no better, but she grew worse. And finally, she touches his robe and she's immediately healed. The ruler of the synagogue who came from the ruler's house, some who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? Jesus would determine when it was time to quit troubling the teacher. They said, why trouble the teacher any further? Your daughter is dead. Jesus spoke to this man and he said, don't be afraid, just believe. Jesus would determine when it was time to quit troubling him. It goes on and it says, they came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. They would hire professional mourners who were particularly good at wailing and crying and carrying on. And they would tear their clothes. And if they were part of the immediate family, they would tear their clothes right over their heart. If they were not part of the immediate family, they could tear somewhere around the heart. But they were professionals in what they were doing. And you see that when Jesus walks up and he says, why are you causing such a commotion and weeping and carrying on? The girl's not dead, she's only sleeping. And they immediately go from wailing and weeping to laughing at Jesus. Jesus would determine when it was time to weep. He says to them, why are you making commotion and weeping? And Jesus will also have the last laugh. The whole point of this particular section of Scripture, I I really wrestled with this, whether to take these as two separate stories and preach to you the woman with the issue of blood and preach to you separately in another sermon the man with the 12-year-old daughter who was at the point of death. But I think there's a reason why the Holy Spirit saw to put them together. They're not just together back to back, but they are intertwined. You can't pull them apart without messing them up. You will pull them apart and rip fragments from either one. The point in all of this, even back further than this, throughout Mark's gospel in this section, is to show us that Jesus Christ is sovereign. You remember? They cross the sea. A storm comes up. Jesus is asleep in the boat, and they come to Jesus and say, Jesus, don't you care? Be still. And Jesus calms the sea. He comes to the demoniac, the man possessed of demons. He comes to him, and nobody's been able to do anything with this demon-possessed man, the man possessed of legion, the great number of demons. They've chained him. He's broken the chains. And Jesus says, come out. And they come out. And here there's a man with a 12-year-old daughter who is sick and this woman who has been sick for 12 years. And Jesus heals both of them instantly. In fact, with the little girl, he raises her from the dead. And the whole point in all this section of Scripture is to show that Jesus Christ 
is sovereign. He is Lord over the universe. He is Lord over the demons in the spirit world. He is Lord over disease, and he is Lord even over death. Regardless of what comes our way, suffering, desperation, Jesus can handle it all. He is sovereign. And therefore, we should do what James says, and we should rejoice always. Even in the midst of it, we should say, it is well with my soul. Lord, I don't understand what you're doing, but God, I don't have to. I know that you're good and that you're in control. God, have your way and make me like you. You say, well, that's just easy for you to say up there. It's a little different when you're going through it. I would venture to say that there are people in this room that have gone through it, and they can look back and say that what I just said is absolutely the truth. Whatever desperate situation you find yourself in, particularly the situation of sin in your life, let it drive you to Jesus. Let it drive you to do the unthinkable. Let it drive you to experience the compassion of Christ in a way that you won't ever experience unless you come by faith to him. Let it drive you to see that he is sovereign over all. Praise the Lord. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, this morning, God, I pray, Lord, that as we look at your word, God, would you... Lord, make it very clear to us. God, I pray now that we would respond to you. God, the truth of what we've heard, God, requires a response. Lord, there are people all over this room who are in desperate situations, who have been through desperate situations, who will go through desperate situations. Lord, I pray, God, that they would today experience your compassion because they come to you by faith. Lord, I pray that in this time of response, God, that we would be responding not to emotionalism, but God, we would be responding to the truth that we live in a desperate situation, that our sin condemns us and causes us to fall under the wrath of God. We have rebelled against you, but God, we need your grace. God, I pray that it would lead us to do the impossible, to turn away from our sin and to turn by faith to you alone, Jesus And God, I pray that you would wash over us this morning with compassion that we would not experience any other way. Lord, you are sovereign. God, it's silly for me to say, Lord, have your way. Who am I? I'm simply the creation. I have no right to tell the creator when he cannot, can and cannot have his way. God, I pray. Lord, that you'd allow us to hear you. God, in your grace and your mercy, God, I pray that you would give us eyes to see you. this in Jesus' name. Amen.